So I want to start by wishing everyone here a happy new year. 2019 has arrived, 2018 has gone. And uh, it's a bit of a strange Sunday, a bit of a strange week of the year for many of us. For some of us will have arrived here this morning with a sense of sadness, the Christmas tree's gone, the decorations have gone. Some of you be conscious that it's still 333 days until you can validly open your Advent calendar for 2019. Others are here with a sheer sense of relief that you've got through the season, you've cleared the decks, you've taken down the tree. Ours is coming down this afternoon and I fit into the first category. I don't want it to end. And, uh, but some of us will also be looking at 2019 and we'll be looking at it as a time we're looking forward to with excitement and anticipation. For others of us here, it will be the opposite. It will be a time of worry, our circumstances, our current circumstances, our, our year that's just gone was not a good year and we wonder what's to come. And for some, there may just be a general fear or apprehension about the weeks and months ahead. And my hope today is that whatever state you find yourself in this morning, that this year, this coming year, will be a year where you will meet God in the midst of whatever life has brought you. Last Sunday, um, those of you who were here will have heard John speaking, um, and he, will, he gave a very simple but very profound message. He asked a question, and he gave us an invitation. And the question was, as we look back on 2018, as I look back on 2018, am I more like Jesus today than I was a year ago? And the invitation follows on from that. The invitation is that as we enter 2019, it's an invitation to, that we seek by the end of this year to be more like Jesus than we were at the beginning. To put it into Bible speak, that we be conformed to the image of God's Son. In Romans 8 verse 29 it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that was, the, that was the invitation last week. And for those of you who weren't here last week, I'd really recommend that you um, look at the talk on the website. And there's loads of stuff in there, loads of practical stuff about steps we can take in our relationship with God and in life this year. And I finished preparing much of this talk um, before the Christmas holiday and then last Sunday, I didn't know what John was going to speak about, but I was really encouraged and really resonated with what he was saying as he was talking about being conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus. Because what I'd already been preparing for today was actually an invitation that I feel that God wants to make to each of us as well. An invitation that actually this year we live out of our true identity. And that identity being that we were created in the image of God, who is represented in Jesus. So last week's message was an invitation to be conformed to the image of God. Today, I think there's an invitation for us to, in doing that, to discover more of how we've been created originally in the image of that same God. 
See, my prayer today is that for every person here in this room, whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, whether you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus or not, that this year you would discover more of your God-given identity than you've ever known. More of who you truly are. More of what you were designed for. Indeed, for some, maybe for the first time, that you will discover that you were designed with and for a purpose. See, we live in an age where the search for identity deeply impacts every area of life. Career, politics, sexuality, gender, race, nationality, wealth, looks, image, the list goes on and on. See, identity in our current age. Individuals assert it. Interest groups claim it. Communities find solace in it. Advertisers play on it. And politicians exploit it. Why is identity such a huge thing? Well, I want to to suggest this morning that it's because in every human being, there's a deep-rooted and a God-given longing to know who he is, who she is. There's a God-given longing in each of us to know our purpose, our reason, our value, our dignity. See, as Christians, we don't believe that identity is ultimately found in nationhood or race or sexuality or gender or career or role. Important as all these things are, and they're God-given. But ultimately, our identity is found in God. The God who created the universe, who created this earth, who ultimately created humankind in order to express his image in this world. And when we look at the Bible, it's expressed at the very beginning. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so in pondering that short passage this morning that I've just read, and in considering the invitation that I've just talked about, I want to invite, us to, I invite you to join me in thinking about three questions this morning. Where or who does identity come from? What does it look like? And why does it matter? So first of all, where or who does identity come from? So for professing Christians here sitting in this church this morning, you've come to church, we've looked at the Bible, the correct answer is God. You find your identity in God. But the reality is, if, if we're going to be honest with ourselves for just a, just a second, that's not, it's not as simple as that in the reality of our lives. Because at each of us look to a whole number of sources for identity in our lives. And if we're honest, for many of us at different times in life, God is not 
our ultimate place of identity. Most, many of us look to all sorts of external places, most of them God-given places for identity. So for some of us it will be family, that we look to our family for ultimate identity. Family which is a good thing, it's a God-given thing. But when that affirmation, that validation doesn't come, it's crushing. For some of us, we look to our achievements. We're looking at some point to achieve that place in life which never seems to quite come. That place in our career, that income level that will show that I am someone of worth. That next item that we might buy. For some of us, we may find our core identity in our nationality, our race, our sexuality, our gender, all God-given things. For some of us, it may be the church. We try to convince ourselves it's God who's our ultimate identity, but actually we look to those around us to provide it for us. And so for each of us, it will be a combination of those or maybe other things that will provide that sense of identity. Because each person here has walked in the door this morning with a unique story. A unique story of life and circumstances and things that have happened and things that we've done that produce where we are today. But in our culture, we need to add in to the mix the cultural narrative of our day. Because we're deeply affected by the culture around us. And the cultural narrative, one of the cultural narratives of, the, of the, the Western world in which we live is the culture that you might call self-assertion. The sense that in order to find yourself, you have to define your own path. You have to look within yourself. Or I might put it a better way. I might quote the words of the mother abbess who 53 years ago called the novice nun Maria into her office in Salzburg in Austria and she declared these words. You might think they're in the book of Psalms but they're actually not. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. Yes, some of you will be familiar with these words. Not many will be brave enough to admit, like me, that you can sing the whole soundtrack from The Sound of Music. See, I'm working on the basis this is a safe place to share. And I am nuts about The Sound of Music. I love it. You were lucky. You you almost got cheaper by the dozen this morning, but we went for The Sound of Music. Do, re, mi, Edelweiss, climb every mountain. I love it. I've got the DVD. It's got the sing-along bonus section. (laughs) I've seen the stage show. I've even done the Sound of Music coach tour in Salzburg. (laughs) And I tell you, don't knock it until you tried it. (laughs) It's amazing. You visit every location. If you get the right one, you visit every location from the film... And then you end up in a cafe opposite the church where Maria and Captain Von Trapp got married. Not to give the ending away. But 
and you eat apple strudel opposite that church. I mean, what's not to like? What's not to like? But back to the cultural narrative. You see, that narrative, which didn't necessarily begin 53 years ago, it's all around us. It's in our, our music that we listen to, it's in television, it's in advertising, and it's still in film today. That narrative that you have to look within yourself to find your own story. It's embedded in us, it's embedded in our culture. That it's not just a good thing to do, actually the heroic thing to do in our culture is to look within yourself to find who you are. Don't let anyone else define who you are. You have to plot your own path in life. You choose your identity. You pursue your dream. You own your, own, your ambition. Another way of putting it, this would be this. I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. I wrote this yesterday. <laughs> when the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, because here I come, and I'm searching to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be, to, to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. And as many of you, you will recognize, I didn't write that song. Um, those are song, the words that come from a song, This Is Me, from The Greatest Showman. One of the top films of the last 12 months. It might be one of your favorites. And rest easy. I'm not here this morning to make you feel 2019 was already bad enough, and now he's telling me I can't watch my favorite films. I'm not saying that at all. See, I'm sure there's many of you who may have watched The Greatest Showman or films like it, who will resonate with the words of that song, will resonate with the, the story and the journey of those within the film. That song is so, sung by a... I won't try not get to give too much away. Um, but it comes at a point in the film where there's a group of people who've been rejected in life. They sing a song that basically says they're no longer going to believe the lies that have been said about them. They've been shut out, and they actually have literally been shut behind a door. And they sing this song of declaration of their inner beauty, and they, they're no longer going to believe these lies that have been spoken over them. In fact, the whole film is a story of people searching for identity. Some in the film are seeking identity by gaining a certain status in life. Some are seeking simply to maintain the status in life they've already found. Others are breaking free from the shackles of the need for approval of family or society. And others simply believe, are simply trying to believe, find a belief in themselves, in their own worth. So some of them are looking out, some of them are looking in. But all of them are searching for a sense of identity. And that's why we love these stories. We love stories of people who have been oppressed and held back and put down and marginalized 
And finally, they break free. See, today I'm not saying we shouldn't watch stories or contemplate those stories or celebrate those stories. I'm just saying that as we watch and contemplate those stories, we should contemplate and think about, but what's the true source of identity? Because our sense of worth, our sense of validation, it really matters. Our sense of self, it matters. So as I think about the sound of music, I think, as I think of Maria being encouraged to go and climb every mountain and ford every stream and follow every rainbow and find her dream, the question for me is, well, what dream? Whose dream? Is it just a dream that you and I come up with? A bucket list of things I want to do before I die? See, to me, that just seems too small. See, maybe there's a bigger picture, a bigger story. Maybe there's a God who is the source of God-given dreams. Or listening to Letty, the character in The Greatest Showman, as she sung the words that were just up on the screen. As she declares that she's glorious, where does that come from? As she speaks of being broken down to dust and of being bruised and crushed and broken, who's going to heal her? Who's going to pick her up out of the dust? As she declares courage, who's the provider of that courage? See, I believe that there's a God who is interested in every story. I believe there's a God who's interested in every story represented here in this room. I believe God's interested in your story. I believe he wants to come and inhabit that story this morning and this year. See, I believe that there's a God who gives us dreams. I believe there's a God who picks us up out of the dust. I believe there's a God who heals our bruises, our wounds, our brokenness. I believe there's a God who gives us courage. I believe there's a God who wants to bestow an identity on us. An identity is greater than, that is greater than anything we've ever imagined. And now I want to talk about that identity for a bit. See, if it comes from God, what does it look like? See, the true identity, as I mentioned at the beginning, it goes back to when we were first created. It's the outworking of what we believe that God created in humankind. Going back to that verse in Genesis, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. See, God's intention is that we will bear his image that we will be inextricably linked to God and his nature. That was always his, his design. Just want you to imagine for, for a, a moment a time that you've seen a newborn baby. Maybe your own baby, maybe a niece or a nephew or the baby of a friend. And just think of that moment. 
That moment where you looked at that child and you just were in awe. In awe of the beauty and the intricacy and the wonder of God's creativity. And I think even people who who would not consider themselves to be people of faith, in that moment, I do believe that they do have an encounter with the divine, even if they don't admit it. That a, a newborn baby is not just the latest addition to the species we call human. I have the great privilege of having four children, and I remember the moment that each of them was born. Now, three of those four are now taller than me. And um, it's not hard, but they're, they're taller than me. And, um, but I still remember when they were that small. I remember the moment I looked into their eyes. I remember what I saw, that this gift had come from God, that this was someone created in the image of God, bearers of God's very image. And this morning we've celebrated the dedication of three such wonderful children. But the thing is, it's even more than that. See, it would be good enough if we were just created in God's image. But that's not where it ends. We weren't just created in God's image. When we were created, we had something else bestowed on us. We had bestowed on us the rulership of God. So following on from what I've just read in Genesis, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with a seed in it, with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And then in verse 31, it says, God saw all he had made, and it was very good. See, when God created humankind, he used the language of royalty, of rulership. See, we often think of it as, that rulership as being functional, that we were going to go out and we were going to subdue the earth. And it does say that. But actually what was bestowed was status on every human being at the point of creation. And it's a status of royalty. In a book I read recently by uh, a lady called Nonna Werner Harrison, what a name, um, God's many splendid image. She, she described it like this. In the 19th century, a Scottish Presbyterian minister named George MacDonald became a writer of fantasy novels for children. His books are still in print and are delightful to read even today. In the early 20th century, his young readers included J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. They both drew inspiration from him. MacDonald imagines a reader asking, Why do you always write about princesses? He replies, because every little girl is a princess. 
When the reader is confused by this answer, MacDonald asks a question in return. What do you mean by a princess? The daughter of a king, replies the reader. Very well then, every little girl is a princess, replies MacDonald. Of course, he is presupposing that God is every little girl's father. You see, if humankind had bestowed on it the rulership that's talked about in Genesis 1, then what was bestowed was the dignity of royalty. But the reality is the story didn't end there. The reality is that created nature that God made became damaged. It was damaged by sin. And this book here is the story from that point on. It's the story of God's plan to restore and to redeem that very created nature. To restore it to what it was meant to be. And the plan was is that God's son Jesus would come. He would come to earth in human form as we've just celebrated over the last few weeks. He would live a life on this earth. He would have a ministry. He would die on a cross and he would rise from the dead. And he would do it in order to restore to every human being who would want it their original and their intended identity. To bear his image and to have royal dignity bestowed on us. Sons and daughters of a king. That is what Jesus has done for us. And that is what God has always intended for for us. Now I don't know about you, but I think I would rather live with the, the bestowed identity as the child of a king than with the identity that can be bestowed but then taken away in a moment by others or that I have to create within myself and then maintain. Paul, one of the earliest church leaders about 2,000 years ago, he put it this way. He, Jesus, is before all things and in all things, in him, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile himself to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your, in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope, the the hope held out in the gospel. You see, Jesus 
Through his death, through his resurrection, he has opened the door to every person who would choose to walk through it. To walk into the presence of God. To be reconciled, to be holy in his sight, to be without blemish, to be free from accusation. But many of us don't live that way. See, we initially have that sense of revelation, but then it almost seems too good to be true. Internally, we don't really believe it in our guts. When we read the word saint used in the Bible, we don't quite apply it to ourselves. But the truth is that is if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you are a saint. You're reconciled, you're holy, you're without blemish, you are free from accusation. I love listening to the talks of um, a man called Simon Ponsby, an Anglican uh, minister. He's, he's visited here before. And I mainly love his talks because of his wisdom and his depth of teaching. But I also like listening to his talks because at some point in any talk that I listen to, he gently leans forward and he might say, good morning, saints. And there's something in me that just lifts every time I hear that. Good morning, saints. See, for some of us, we live as if we've signed up for a self-improvement program. Where one day we might become worthy of the status that they keep talking about in, on the stage and in small groups. And I sometimes talk, you know, might even talk to myself about that one day I might be worthy of having the name saint declared over me. But the truth is, it's already happened. Another way that's described is in a book called The Kingdom Life. It says, that, uh, Bill Thrall and Bruce McNichol, they say this. See, when Christians see themselves as sinners saved by grace, they have no choice but to live life as sinners, strenuously striving to become saints. Naturally, this effort leads to failure because we're not in charge of our sainthood. Our sainthood has already been accomplished by a loving saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, when Christians are able to see them as saints who sin, as Christ in me creatures, as clothed with robes of righteousness, they have the only basis to grow up into what is already true of them. God says we are righteous, and this becomes the context or the condition that allows Christ to dwell in us. If my vision of what I can become is based on my vision of who Jesus says I already am, righteous, I can relax and mature into something I already am. When we trust God, our self-identity builds on his assessment, not ours on his righteousness, not our righteousness. See, the true identity that God wants to bestow on you and me today is of being created in his image, of being one of royal dignity, of being one in whom Christ dwells, of being righteous in his sight, of being 
a saint. See, if what I've said is true, and I believe it is, that true identity is bestowed on me by the creator of the world, why would I want to look elsewhere for my identity? So now I want to look at that final question. Why does it matter? See, we've explored a bit of how, how, where or who does our identity come from. We've looked at what I've looked at, what it looks like. But why does it matter so much? See, the reason it matters so much is it, much is it affects everything. It affects how we see ourselves. It affects how we see the world around us. It affects how we engage with the invitation that John gave us last week. The invitation to be conformed to the image of Christ. Because if we see ourselves fundamentally as sinners who might one day be worthy, then all John's talk last week was some very helpful hints on that self-improvement program. But that's not what John's talk was about last week at all. What John's talk last week was about was things that we can do in order to step into more of who we are and who we've been created to be. As we know ourselves to be reconciled and holy without blemish, free from accusation, bearers of God's image and with royal dignity. See, once we see ourselves in this light, we can no longer see the rest of the world the way we currently see it. As we see every human being, every race, every nationality as fundamentally made in the image of God, as created by God with the intention that they would have that same royal dignity bestowed on them. Just think back to that image of the princess. Think of your best friend. Think of your worst enemy. What if you were to look at both of them as a prince or a princess? See, what I'm saying today, it might sound like a nice and a sentimental talk, but there's, I don't think it's sentimental at all. Because once we get this, it actually changes how we should live our lives. This isn't a talk to ease us gently into 2019 and make things feel better because Christmas is gone. This is something that if we can get hold of it, if I can get hold of it in my life, it will change me. It will change how I see success. It will change how I deal with failure. It will change how I experience sickness. It will change how I engage with age, with my own sense of mortality, how I see my family, how I see my church, how I see my community, how I see my work colleagues, how I see the poor how I see the rich, how I encounter every human being. It's probably going to mess me up. It's going to change how I see justice. Because when I see a victim of injustice, I don't just see a category of situation. I see a person made in the image of God. I see a person of infinite value and I see a person of royal dignity. That's why it matters. 
It matters because it will affect whether we see the invitations that come from this stage and as you read books, as you read your Bible. Whether you see it as an invitation into that self-improvement program I talked about or an invitation into an adventure with God in this coming year. Now I've said a lot of words today and I'm going to wind up in a second. I just want to read one last quote before before we pray. On the 3rd of April 1968, Martin Luther King gave what he didn't know at the time was his last sermon. And in that sermon, in fact it was the day before he was assassinated. And I read these again last week. And they're the words of a man who simply knew who he was and what he was called to do. He was just living out his calling. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So my question this morning is, do you want this year to be a year where you move towards that same level of freedom? A freedom that means you know more of who you are in Christ. A saint created in the image of God, bestowed with royal dignity and declared as righteous. A freedom that means you can be released from a life of fear and you can live a life of love and sacrifice and service of others. See, I think that's an identity worth worth swapping any other identity for. Let's this year live a life where we are conformed to the likeness of Christ.